We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts and Pump Fake. Uh, Britt Robson of The Athletic is here with me. I said on last night's pod that we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be doing this pod this week until, until the weekend. We reshuffled our plans and Britt is with me here today, which I think is, is as relevant of a time as any, Britt. Why for, not? Right. Uh, for us to talk. I mean, like, seriously, think about how many hours we've spent talking about Jared Vanderbilt and like Jordan McLaughlin and and down the list of frankly rather irrelevant things in in the big picture of the Timberwolves and now you know Carl Anthony Towns is back and for me I kind of draw the line in the sand of last night of like okay now it's it's go time not like winning and losses but like it's time where we can start accumulating some information and pin down what this next domino sort of is in the Grand Rosa's rebuild. Right. I think that's fair to some extent. I also think that um, it's it's never going to line up the way everybody wants it to line up. I mean, it just it doesn't happen that way. Cats coming back. D'Lo's got a leg problem. He'll come back at some point in time. Um, you know, Jade McDaniels, everybody's favorite poster boy, will have a slump. Uh, everybody will go, what's wrong? With no, he won't. No, he won't. <laughs> what's wrong with Jade McDaniels? You know, Wancho will come in and hit four threes, and the next thing you know, he's got 30 minutes, and everybody's going, oh, maybe Wancho is, you know, maybe he's worth that contract after all. And we'll, so you're telling me you've done this before? I'm just basically saying that the <laughs> whole thing will wind up being fouled. It won't be, all right, Cat's back. 
Let's see what happens. There's an attendant amount of sludge that comes right along with it that is an NBA roster, especially an NBA roster with a bunch of guys who are unproven, too young, or already proven to be mediocrities or whatever, and then all this pressure now coming on, um, especially on Cat and D'Lo, uh, or I even should flip that, especially on D'Lo and Cat. And so, you know, it, it's they have blown through no fault of their own, certainly in terms of Cat's health, but they have blown their um, ABC start or their ABC narrative to the season. You know, we're on G. And it's in the spot where D should be. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, if this team loses like seven in a row, you know, we may get, you know, right back to Z or A or however you want to describe it, where suddenly it's a new slate and a new set of priorities and we take it from there, you know? Let me ask you about D'Lo and just this whole sort of thing. We, we had this 24 games of D'Lo, whatever, you know, as I think you said last time, like these were kind of the numbers to be expected when, you know, when D'Lo is in this type of role, right. blah, blah, blah. You go back to, you go back to Brooklyn, his first year in Brooklyn, he was kind of surrounded by a group similar to this. Right. right. And, and they really went to him. I think that, what would that be? Uh, 18, 19 team uh, that, it was him and Rondé Hollis Jefferson led the Brooklyn Nets in minutes that year. So, you know, I mean, that's honestly relevant. It was kind of a team like this Wolves team. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I guess that was kind of to be, to, to be expected from me. Maybe you're like, okay, it's been two more years. Maybe he's improved a little bit, grown a little bit, those sort of things. But I feel like for me, I didn't bake in much beyond first year in Brooklyn deal, which is, not the all-star level dealo, right? Right. And and so that's that's all kind of played out, right, to be to be somewhat true. And for me, quite frankly, isn't all that troubling because if an expectation is an expectation, I'm not floored by it. What what I think about with Dilo right now is is this consistently missing games thing that is happening in addition to the times in games where he has looked disinterested, you know, when they fall, when they fall back a lot, he falls out of, you know, he falls sort of out of rhythm and, or not rhythm. He just falls out of caring. It looks, it appears. Uh-huh. And, and, and for, for me, l- last night, it was interesting. Once the news comes out that cat's back and, and Delo isn't playing. I had two people, I, well, I had a handful of people text me this, but but two people who work in the league, and they just asked, like, so does D'Lo just not want to be there? And I think that, you know, that's not just like a Twitter sentiment, right? Like, mm-hmm. there is this, there is this perception, true or not, being put off, that D'Angelo Russell doesn't want to play for the Timberwolves or isn't giving his all to this to this team. And I actually don't think that's true completely, but the weird stuff, you know, since the Golden State missing that time, you know, in and out of the lineup without a lot of clarity on what exactly is going on, you kind of were thinking, all right, well, maybe they're just holding him out till Cat gets back. And now Cat's back and he doesn't play. Like, you're putting off smoke signals that say, 
he's not happy, even if he isn't. Am I, are you tracking with that? Well, I raised it right around the Golden State time because I thought it was, it was weird that that was a, a point to show up. You know, I mean, everybody likes to imagine what should be happening. It's kind of, get, it gets back to, I, I hate to be like this uh, nonchalant cynic about everything, but um, well, I just got through saying, well, you know, we cats back, we expect a, a nice rollout. Now it won't be a nice rollout. Well, cats back, we expect D'Lo. All right, here come the dynamic duo, you know, the great hope, you know, the last shred, quite frankly, of the Rosas regime in terms of uh, this is what uh, my template is. Um, and it may just be that D'Lo really, really hurt his leg and he doesn't, you know, or it may, 100%, just, or 100%. It may just be that, you know, he had that right growing, but you're correct in that you set up the attendant circumstances. The attendant circumstances are that he has always been a polarizing player from the time he was taken second in the draft by the Lakers right on through. He was polarizing in LA. He was polarizing in Brooklyn. Uh, it, the stakes weren't there enough for him to be polarizing in Golden State, but he's polarizing here. He was named like 69th among like ESPN's top 100 or something and not included in the top 25 under 25 or something. I mean, these are things that are subjective things. You can debate them one way or the other. But he is not a consensus, very good player. There's not a consensus out there that D'Angelo Russell is a very good player. There's a consensus that he does some things really well. And there's, I think, a, a, a consensus that he doesn't do some things very well. And the question then becomes, was this setting where he has been given his own team. He's the point guard of a team. It's unquestioned. You know, Rubio certainly has, has helped that happen. Um, where he's the guy and he's Cat's friend and he is at the very least 1B. So, okay, here we go. And that brings with it some expectations and that brings with it some, uh, especially when you're dealing with the Wolves, some quick suspicions from, you know, a fan base where hope has always been a punch in the mouth. So um, they're quick to say, all right, you know, screwed again here. And it gets to a point where D'Lo doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who thinks that rah-rah speeches and um, that type of thing. He, I think he strikes me as the kind of guy who, you know, is the guy in dreadlocks and glasses in the John Singleton movie, you know, sitting in the chair over on the side talking to Lawrence Fishburne. He's not the guy, you know, uh, being the, the, the hotshot dude and, you know, getting out there and doing rah-rah stuff. You know, he always feels like my game will do the talking kind of guy, you know, rather than the guy who's, yeah, yeah, you know. And so... The problem with that, of course, is that his game has to do the talking now. And when Cat was out, his game spoke badly. Um, and so now you have a circumstance where 
he's got a lot to prove to the franchise himself and to a very, very skeptical uh, fan base that is looking at um, the fact that the Wolves didn't take Ball or Wiseman in the draft. They avoided the cat Delo combo uh, to be redundant and, t- and took Edwards. And also that Wiggins is putting up relatively similar numbers and the number one pick in a very good draft. Looks like it's going to be a pretty high pick if this team continues where it is. So that's the stage. That's the stage we're at now. Um, given that... But, okay, hold on, hold on. Th- that's my problem, though, is this is the stage you set, though. Like, those are those are the hard facts you laid out but now you're you're setting the perception of the stage, right? Right. You 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 are creating what people are seeing by let's go back to last year where they get fined for having Delo sit out on rest on a national TV game. You 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 started it there. You you you've painted this thing with other players, not necessarily Delo, where you've been coy and you've been keeping things close to the vest, not illegally so or anything right, right. like that. But there's been there's been a constant intention of trying to of disillusionment, right? And and it's it, it's it's cost them, you know. I, I feel like this is this is the situation where it starts to cost them in real perception. When now, all right, we're back. Things are happening. What's going on? Right. People are going to become more cynical as now the stage is set for the play to begin. Right. When, when, when you've been hiding, I, I just don't think they've done themselves any favors by trying to quote unquote protect him or protect uh, protect things. Right. I think it's it's actually done the the inverse and been a double edged sword and stabbed them. If in fact, see, I mean, that's what we always have to figure out: is have they been protecting him, or is it just one of those circumstances where you know he can't play or whatever. Um, okay, well, sure, but he's also rested a lot. Yeah, no, I like the, the, that. That's the not a can't rest, play the day thing. Rest was tough, uh, and I do. Well, and then and then the quad thing became an excuse for a day of rest. Like, let's not. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm not playing that game. All possible, um, and all it does. Let's let's grant you every single bit of your circumstantial cynicism, which is not necessarily inaccurate i'm just trying to talk it through i don't actually i'm not trying to like stamp that this is what's happening i'm saying these are the details we have we don't work in the front office we're not on the timberwolves roster we're trying i'm trying to put together what the hell is going on right and and to take the perspective of what you're talking about as as a photo negative i imagine myself as a delo defender right now trying to defend all this. And I don't have great arguments right now. I don't have, you know, everybody knows, you know, and I know certainly being on Twitter and and being, you know, writers about this franchise, that there is a D-Lo hive that is very strong and very active, you know, not quite D-Rose level, but pretty strong. And they've been quiet. Uh, And I don't think they'd be quiet if they had something to buzz about. So I think right now it is, it's a time for, if there's ever a time for D'Lo to 
um, in his own quiet, cerebral, painstaking way to put his imprint on goodness for which he's being paid handsomely and being marketed as, you know, the, the second cornerstone. Now is the time. Now is the time to uh, step up and help Cat and uh, get Beasley involved and try to figure out, which by the way, I mean, the one thing I will say about a way to defend uh, D'Lo is that Beasley plays much better when D'Lo's beside him in the backcourt. 100%. You know, and that's because he's not jammed. He's not doubled on the perimeter as much. D'Lo's a scoring threat and D'Lo is a passing threat. Um, on that circumstance is very good. So anyway, I, I don't look, I'm cynical about this team all the time. I've covered them for a long time. I've earned my cynicism. You've earned yours. You're doing podcasts night after night of bullshit performances. If you're not cynical by now, then you're a little bit too Mr. Cheery in my view. Uh, so, you know, I mean, if you put in the time and you see what you see, um, you just react honestly to it. That doesn't mean either one of us won't give Dio all the credit in the world as soon as he shows signs of giving us things to be happy about. You I mean, as a basketball player, is there someone amongst our contingent that's higher on Dio as a basketball player than me? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't I, I so that that's that's almost what I'm saying is there's right, these two right. separate things going on. Right. This is like the setting up the stage and now the stage is actually going. Like I'm actually open minded to the idea that this still that this might be really good with the cat and D Lo thing. Right, I don't think right. I've really shifted off of that. Yeah, you're way ahead of I'm me just, on that. And and of course could be could be proven no, wrong. You could. But I'm I I'm just I'm more so saying that to say this isn't just me just trying to shit on everything. No, I, I like never thought you were. It, it's I would have told you so if I thought that. <laughs> it it's it's just I think that that some of this stuff and quite frankly, a good amount of it that's been out of their control, of course, with COVID right. shutting down the season last year and then shutting down Carl this year. That that stuff's outside of their control. I'm just trying to focus on the things that feel within their control that I don't seem to understand. And and the only logic I can really find in this stuff of these things I don't understand, like never playing anyone over 35 minutes, being sneaky with injuries and holding players out and stuff like that is what what other premise are you doing that stuff under other than the idea that you're trying to lose games? Mm. And which I hey, you can't you can't find anybody who's more pro the process back in the Sixers days right. than me. Like I'm cool with that. But you know what the Sixers didn't do is they didn't deny it. They didn't, they did they weren't, I mean, Hinky and Sashin, who's in this front office, they weren't coming out like defending it and, and, or, and saying like, oh no, we're actually, you know, we're actually trying. No, it was a, it was an open tactic that they thought was exploitable to take advantage of the NBA. And they and, did, they didn't make their top pick hostage either. Well, that, that's what I'm all saying is this right, is right. why it just, it just all doesn't really line up. Right. Because, okay, like, you know, to use the word, uh, you're tanking? No, that doesn't make sense. 
like because you only have a 40% chance of keeping your pick. So what so what's going on? What's going on? Like if I think it's fair as a media member or as a fan to ask those questions. And I'll tell you and my I don't opinion. feel like we're getting a lot of okay, yeah. Sure. My opinion is um it's maybe a little early in the process right now. But I am 40% of a top three pick in next year's draft is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that that's, that's a bobble. I mean, that's a, that's more than a bobble. That's something worth, you know, mm-hmm. that's worth it. If you're, if it's pretty clear, if you look at the teams in the Western conference right now, and you look at the wolves, um, I say, Let's see what eight to 10 games of a full healthy roster of this team is like. And then what probably happens is Ryan gets thrown overboard. And then after that happens, maybe you get a little bump, but let's say in my opinion, Ryan isn't the end all be all of all that's wrong with this franchise. And let's say they go back to not getting into any kind of, uh, you know, purchase on, making headway toward a playoff spot. Well, by then, let's say it's mid-March, you know. Let's say the trade deadline is passed. Sure. Here we go. You know, I've been there. I've been there for on both hands and beyond. I can count springs that are tanking springs. It's also, let's not just call it a 40%, though. It's actually less than that. If you think about it, because let's call it because no, 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 no. It is. It is 40%. That's literally the number. It's 40.1%. If you have the worst record in the league, it's 40.1. But the opportunity caught or the, the, what you have to factor in here is also, it's not like you get it this year or you don't, it's not a straight 40% black, 60% white. It's not like that because if this doesn't happen and you do get the pick, you do hit that 40%. There's still a negative externality of the fact that you're giving up an unprotected pick to the same team in 2022. I think so you don't better. just like you saved a year. You don't just so you don't just dodge the bullet though. I, you uh I think what happened is you disarmed the AR AK47 and are now dealing with a, a a a handgun. I mean, you know, I think it's better because you're you're first of all, you know, I'm not going to, you know, make. I'm it, just saying that's important context. I'm not going to make any cheap context. shots at Rosas and basically say, you know, giving him another bite at the apple or the draft or everything is, is I, you know, you have to assume that um, he will make a good pick if, it, if he happens to land in the top three pick in a very, very stoked draft. Um, then that plus everything else that they have on this roster. The roster is full of intriguing pieces, uh, you know, whether or not, let's say one third of them pan out, still some decent things. You add one third of the intriguing pieces panning out to a top three pick and you hit upon the right coach that puts this all together and you might have something. And then all of a sudden that 2022 pick that's unprotected is like 12th or 15th. Um, Fair. You know. That's, Which is less, but still not nothing, I guess. That's a point. hell of a lot better than if you lose like the fifth pick in the 2021 draft and he turns out to mm-hmm. be, uh, 
you know, somebody who absolutely just looks perfect on this Wolves roster in 2022, you know? So, okay, so play this out with me. All right. To, to I guess, to, to counter, to, to make the argument okay. for tanking yeah. is, is this idea that the Wolves, as they're currently constructed, are on thin ice. And the only way to make this work in the Rosas slash Cat era is to add another elite talent in the 2021 draft. Maybe the other paths are already dead ends. Maybe, maybe there is no way of this working right now unless they get a top three pick in this upcoming draft and get Cade Cunningham or whoever. Right. Maybe, maybe that is the only path to this working right now. Only reasonable one because it's, it's as many people would argue and do argue, just Cat and D'Lo is not enough. Right. Maybe they need to thread this needle, which is adding Cade Cunningham to a group that has Anthony Edwards and has DeAndre Russell and has Cat, and now you, you got something. So even if that's only a bobble, as you put it, it might be their only chance at bringing in something that there doesn't is, lead to a dead end. That is a defensible mindset, in my view. I'm not. I won't endorse the whole thing because we're still very incomplete on this roster, and I also believe, and I, I say this with uh, respect, if not affection, that. Rosas is arrogant enough to think that he's still right. He's not going to think this blueprint sucks. You know, we need a star or bust here. And I think he's probably thinking, let's see the D'Lo cat thing run. And by the way, let's see what my guy McDaniels as he goes forward and let's see, um, Vanderbilt on a contract. And by the way, I got this guy Nas Reed for, a million sure. five for yeah. the next uh, two years or so. How about putting him either like let's stagger him and cat, but also play them. You know, the idea of what we were going to do with Rubio and Delo, let's do that with Nas and cat, you know, and let's totally shift how we're doing. We've already mm -hmm. basically moved heaven and earth to get Delo. You know, we're shooting mid ranges now instead of, you know, threes or whatever, you know, Let's flex in a different way. I think that there is a number of different ways where Rosas doesn't have to throw in the towel yet. Now, having said that, I also think that Rosas has been around long enough and I respect his wisdom enough to make a cold calculation as to whether or not it's the best way to go. Is the best way to go to bank on his kids in a manner that sells out for the best record this year. Um, and therefore not tank or, and I always bring this up because it is the most common way that wolves tanking happens. You stealth tank. You basically Jade McDaniel at the four against all comers is a stealth tank in its own way. I mean, the guy is going to get hosed sometimes. He's going to look great 30% of the time, and people are going to pat each other on the back and go, Jade McDaniels, all right, that guy is fabulous. 
but some 250 pound power forward is also going to take him off the dribble and basically take his scrawny ass and shove it through the hoop a few times, you know? Um, I, I mean, it's already on then, right? Cause there's already, that's not the only example. Yes. That's not, I mean, exactly. There, so what there, we need let, to figure out yeah. what we, one of the reasons we're confused and then I will actually let you talk. I promise. Um, is that even a stealth tank is confusing. Yes. I mean, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it is. Well, it's, but I guess what, I mean, we've been thinking this was the thing for a while now. Like, I, I have always been a proponent of stealth tanking. Once things become obvious that once Rubio and D'Lo were not going to pan out and I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Rubio and D'Lo were not going to pan out. And the, and the, the dynamic cornerstone combo of cat and D'Lo showed signs of being what I suspected it was all along and maybe even a notch below my expectations, then I began to align my, to the extent that I root for this, you know, franchise um, toward a stealth tank. Yes. I mean, I would begin to think, let's see what you've got, you know, talent wise and let's sure let's throw some things overboard. Let's not invest in unprofitable assets for the sake of saving face. I just think it's our job as journalists to parse these things. And if they are not being, if there is enough evidence that is lining up that contradicts what is being expressed from the coach, from the president, for all those sort of things, I think it's our job to point to the other pieces of evidence that are contradictory to that. And those are becoming abundant in the style of play, the minutes that they're having their players play. These are stealthy, these are stealthy tank things. The, the way you construct your roster, the, the way you are resting your, your players that are young and not playing that many minutes to begin with. These things all add up and point to the suggestion that you're not doing everything you can to win, which is, again, a defensible strategy given the construct of the NBA and how competition is shaped in this. But, like, let's call a spade a spade. They're stealth tanking. But again, I, I repeat what I... Or they were. Or they were. What I, what I, I will repeat to you what I said just a minute ago, it's confusing. Stealth tanking, your definition of stealth tanking and my definition of stealth tanking may be very, very different. I think playing Jade McDaniels at the four a lot and not having Joshua Kogi go there at all is a wonderful way to stealth tank. Um, didn't happen, by the way. That hasn't been what's happening. I know, I know. And so that's what I'm saying. You would say that playing a a lot of minutes at the expense of Jade McDaniels is stealth tanking. That's not even stealth in my book. <laughs> See, uh, uh, and, and that's where the problem happens, is that our interpretations of what the best outcome is 
sure. help to no. help define our stealth tanking. And so, well, maybe I should say. And, this. and what's funny, uh, before you get into that, it, what's what's hilarious about this is that if the wolves continue to be bad, we all get ratified of the stealth tanking. <laughs> Uh, what this is my guess All right. this is my guess Fair of enough. what has has happened and will happen All right. is that they took it in and they went as soon as cat went down with the wrist thing they realized this chunk of time without cat is irrelevant relatively irrelevant right. so losing as much as possible within reason mm-hmm. during the 20 games Cat is going to miss is a beneficial thing for us. So we are going to turn the stealth tank light on until Cat returns. We are going to then turn it off when Cat is back so we can see Cat, D'Lo, and Beasley play and, and be able to point to the fact of when those three were healthy in 32 games last season, the point differential was plus 6.2 and it went 16 and 16, whatever, right, to have that. Right, right. And then, again, at some point, and I bet it will be sneaky, the light will be turned back on because there will be a justification. There will be an incentive to increase your chances of having, the, to having your pick land in the top three. That's my assumption with, with what they will do. It might be what I would do if I was running the organization. Right, right. I just think we haven't even really – that hasn't been said. And obviously, they're not going to say that directly. No, no, they won't. In fact, course, And they can't. But we should be saying that. If that's what plays out, and if this is what has played out, like step one, the first third of the season is done. This happened. Let's look back at it like – all these things, I think the light was on. And now, let's see if they turn the light on, off with Cat and D'Lo back, as that would make sense to do. When Do you remember when Cat uh, went down and became pretty obvious that he wasn't going to come back for a while, and I wrote a piece about stealth tanking, and uh, yes. uh, there was feedback from uh, the Wolves PR, and even Rosas said, Stealth tanking, huh? After they won a game, they came back and won a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, tank that. Yeah. He said tank yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Take that. <laughs> take that stealth tanking. Um, I regard myself as something of an expert on self tanking. I've covered the Timberwolves since 1990, you know. And so I've seen all the myriad ways it happens. I also know that it is clouded by incompetence and misjudgment. <laughs> so I mean Fair. to to be experts at stealth tanking begs the question, why weren't you just trying to be good if you're so good at figuring out what you can do? <laughs> I mean, it is this kind of weird dynamic that happens. And so and that is a dilemma that we all have. That I mean, when you say if we identify it, let's label it, well. Maybe I just, well, let's at least identify it. Let's just at least identify it. Maybe I think they're just being incompetent. Maybe I think that they think the expectation on this is going to be better than it is, and they're wrong, wrong, wrong. You're saying they're being no, I, no, 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 no. I, I, well, no, I'm just giving you the, I'm giving you the options. I am not saying okay. that you necessarily elect this. What I'm saying is it's very, very hard 
to land on a black and white strategy or to land even on the harsher gray, knowing it's a harsher gray. We have facts, but motivations behind the facts and all the attendant bullshit that happens behind the scenes of an NBA team anyway, be it agents, unhappiness, somebody doesn't like this, somebody isn't getting the ball enough, so on and so forth. Um, all that gets thrown in. And then you got your, 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 your tentpole superstar, you know, basically being the poster person for a deadly disease to the point where his opponents come up to him after the game in condolence. And then you have his other guy, his best friend, taking games off and being kind of aloof and having an aloof basketball style anyway. I mean, it's it's your classic Timberwolves clusterfuck. I mean, it really is something where you're not sure whether or not the teams, what the team's motivations are. Can I tell you what the most confusing part to me about this is? Is I might not be an expert since 1990, yeah. but I have also followed it attentively yes. my whole life. I think the most comp- confusing part to me personally is that it, yes, is again a clusterfuck, yet for the first time ever, I believe the people who are running the show are competent. Uh-huh, right. Which makes it as a whole other level of confusion. Which is because why, th- which is why you were so suspicious of the stealth tank. That is why the very fact that you have faith in the front office is why you are accusing them of stealth tanking. And that's the rich irony of all this. I mean, I really do. And I, I love to have a partner in crime on this because this is a lot of the mental jujitsu that I run very, very often with Timberwolves team, <laughs> trying to figure out to what extent these guys really know and can't say how bad it is, and then not knowing how bad it is. I mean, it's, it's what, what are they called, a Hobbesian choice. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you uh, screwed if you do and screwed if you don't. So who knows? I think at the end of the day, what I always take comfort in is it's the NBA, it's great hoops, and there's always a couple of guys on your roster who you can root for as a standing, existing, really good player. You know, I loved watching Kevin Love when he was putting up pinball numbers. I actually thought he'd be better on other teams than he's turned out to be. But, um, and, you know, you can see it in other people. Just And you can adopt, you know, guys who turn out to be, you know, you thought they were going to be, uh, great, and they, you know, you just happen to like them better than, you know, I had Rich, Reggie Jordan. I really liked Reggie Jordan back in the day, you know. I remember Reggie Jordan. So there you go. I mean, you're one of the few. And so <laughs> there are these things that go through the process of being a Timberwolves fan. What I can say is right now, what makes this particular moment fraught is that there is a crossroads. You don't know whether somebody is stealth tanking or just incompetent or so on and so forth, because the direction that things are going is the direction they have to be going. But pretty soon now, we're coming to a fork on the road where you go one way and it's probably going to go a certain direction and that's what you're choosing. 
if Dilo and Cat don't get a lot of time together and don't try to have sets run that maximize what both of them do. I mean, I've, if I've heard once, I've heard a thousand times from this front office that this is going to be a dynamic pick and roll combination. I don't believe it. I don't believe it is a dynamic pick and roll combination. I am willing to be wrong, but I want to see some goddamn evidence. I haven't seen any evidence thus far, even when they've been on the court. You know, it's not like uh, I know what a dynamic pick and roll, you know, looks like. Trey Young and Collins, for God's sake, a couple of kids. They were a dynamic. Let me let me let me pause you, because I think this is I think we are moving away from the clusterfuck jujitsu segment of the podcast and into the basketball segment of it. So before we get to that, let's take a quick break. What's up, everybody? We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know uh, great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50, M-O-O-R-E-5-0. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. So before I let you finish your thought on what a good pick-and-roll combination does and does not look like, I guess I would I would challenge the premise that if we could just remove the names and the personalities, because I think... I think we can both I will admit to the fact that I can become jaded about players right at times given personalities. I think conceptually I can picture an elite pick and pop big being if he is with a above average pick and roll point guard that being a very good pick and roll combo the element of it that i question as we're just x's and o's moving along the floor is the concept of running a spread style offense that functions around this when the point guard himself has a long-standing track record of not being able to put pressure on the defense at the third level getting to the rim to be able to finish there or get to the foul line the whole the whole idea ideology of a spread spreading the floor is the idea of 
impression, right? Yes. You are driving into the middle Correct. so as What's your threat? so as to a defensive threat assessment. What am I actually exactly. threatened by? That and and I mean <laughs> quite frankly we see that what that looks like sometimes with Jordan McLaughlin. Right. We you know do. and and it's it is it can be a dynamic thing because because it's really hard to recover from five feet away from the hoop out to 23 away feet away for the hoop, you know? It makes sense. And so I I question that element of it, the idea, the ability to put pressure on the rim, given that your point guard is DeAndre Russell, not to mention that your backup is Ricky Rubio, who has the same shortcomings. Yes. But at the point of the action, where that is set, yes. I can see it working between between Cat and D'Lo there. Okay. At a pretty high level. Okay. Here's why I don't see it. Because I have watched Cat for a long time. I know what his comfort level is. Tell me that Cat is comfortable as a pick-and-pop, catch-and-shoot guy if he's not beyond the arc. I don't think so. I don't think that Cat wants to hit 16-footers on pick and rolls. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why does he got to – what is he going to start picking at 16 feet? All right. Just set the pick higher. All right. So then that really – that really screws up the things because there can't be any spacing then. D'Lo mm, – Disagree. Look, if 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 D'Lo has the ball in his hands off the pick at twenty four feet, um, what's the difference between that and every other half court play they run? I mean, that's the problem. There is that D'Lo isn't lightning quick to the hoop, and it's not his style to go to the hoop hard. He's busy playing cat and mouse. I the way I see D'Lo running pick and rolls and the way he runs the best is when the big is at the elbow or even further in and D'Lo gets to run the immediate floater or gets to what, run. What, what, when does that ever happen Britt? what Ed Davis, Ed Davis has always been setting it up up top at the at the top of the the key but he also rolls well with that and he sets the pick better Okay, well that that's a okay. I agree with that. That's a fair thing to, to question but in also, the cat part of this equation. Does, he, there are some tight pick and rolls too. He does set up uh, 15, 12 feet from the basket, and they do run tight pick and rolls. A Jeff Teague pick and roll. <laughs> I I understand what you're describing. Right. I, I I think that's the exception to the norm. However, and I would well if they started making that twenty five percent of their pick and roll mix. That would be coaching malpractice. Okay. I mean, you got to go 90% of the time that a cat is setting a screen for D'Lo that it occurs beyond the arc. So one, if D'Lo has created, if, if an advantage has been created for D'Lo that he can pull up and shoot that because that's he that will be a profitable action for him. Or if it creates an advantage, depending on the way the defense is guarding it for cat to pop. Then you know, then that has to be outside the three point line too, and 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 that should also be okay. You know, a profitable endeavor. All right, so let's assume that. Let's assume we're only talking about high, above the arc pick and rolls, or at least step back territory on pick and rolls. Sure. Okay. 
I don't see how either one of those guys function better in a pick and roll action than they do otherwise. I mean, D'Lo, I would I would wager without knowing that D'Lo's contested jumpers are at least as high a percentage as his uncontested jumpers. D'Lo shoots when he's in a rhythm. How many times have you seen D'Lo surrounded by three defenders make the shot? It happens, I think, as often as when he's wide open. So he's got the J.R. Smith you're saying. Well, all right, but I, I actually think that the, the thing about J.R. Smith is that um, <laughs> I I don't think J.R. Smith knows what he's doing. I think that D'Lo <laughs> does know what he's doing. I think D'Lo has a feel for when he shoots, and it doesn't have anything to do yeah. with who's around him. I think he has incredibly long limbs, and it's when he catches the ball, and it's when he feels good about himself. And let's face it, his shot selection – is, is sure. very, very bad for a point guard. And it doesn't have anything to do, in my opinion, with whether or not he's open. I mean, which is kind of rough if you're running pick and rolls. Uh, because the whole point of a pick and roll, if you're the ball handler originally, is to be open. The the, the thing you're the thing you're getting at here that I that as somebody who's taking the side of defending the idea yes. of the pick and roll is that you are acknowledging that in comfort, yes, D'Angelo Russell can be a good player in just about any offensive action. Certainly on when, jumpers. I don't think he, he's yeah. comfortable going to the rim, and I also don't think he is comfortable when he knows he has to shoot and he has to shoot. I think that's when you see this, I'm getting fouled, you know, some kind of weird contortion where the ball goes 75 miles an hour off the backboard while Dilo falls down. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. And there's no foul. You know, uh, that's when Dilo isn't comfortable. When Dilo is so, comfortable, I don't care who's around him as long as it's not like a center. He can get the arcing shot, and it'll go in like 40% of the time, which is pretty good for where he's at. I, I guess what I'm just trying to assert yes. is that if he plays better when comfortable yes. and synergized within the play, yes. that there is a chance, and I would say a good one, yes. that they are going to be playing a more synergized version of basketball where he is, if he's only been playing for these past month or whatever, if he's only been playing comfortable 40% of the time, I think that goes up to 80% now. That with cat. That's what you're. That's what you're banking on. I mean, we say this all the time. Well, Rosa's big bet is on the is is on the cat and D'Lo, you know, two man yes. pairing that yep. working out. Yep. That that's what we're saying. We're ultimately being like, oh, that you know, the the cat and D'Lo pick and roll is going to work. But it's never as simple as one action. Right. What we're really saying there is D'Lo is going to become significantly more comfortable than he ever has been previously in his career because we know we know everything else what deal we right. uh, like we said you go back to brooklyn and we have pretty similar results the whole time the bet rosas is making is he sees a player that if you allow him to play in situations that better fit his game that make him more comfortable that he will be a substantially better player and i think it's a defensible stance to say 
that Carl Anthony Towns will present that a hell of a lot more than Timofey Mozgov did in on the Lakers or than Jared Allen did on the Nets or than Eric Paschal did on the Warriors last year. The bigs, you know, the bigs who he's right, playing with. Right. Or or Nas Reed this year. That's the that's the bet. Okay. I don't think that's a terrible bet. Um yes, I agree with that. I I I think it would be very, very hard to argue that uh playing pick and roll with cat <laughs> is is going to make you less comfortable. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Eric Pascal, you know. <laughs> No, <laughs> you never know that Eric Pascal. He's got he's got a B gene. Uh, <laughs> this is my bias, and it is a bias. It's biased against the kind of players I have seen D'Lo and Cat be. Um, a very important component of that pick and roll action is if D'Lo is wide open. And another guy is wide open too. Let's say it's Malik Beasley in the corner. Let's say it's Malik Beasley in the weak side slot. Does the ball go to Beasley ever? Better. Well, all right. you just you just told me that that Beasley plays better with D'Lo. So <laughs> without Cat on the pick and roll, I mean, I, <laughs> I I think the reason that Beasley plays better is because there are two guys on, or at least a guy hedging on D'Lo out on the perimeter and Beasley has the ball. Uh, Beasley's going to have the ball less. Ryan said this morning when I asked him about this very thing, they're going to have to run more catch and shoot action for Beasley. Well, Beasley's fine with that as long as the opportunities to actually catch and shoot are there and are delivered upon. If Beasley's out there wide open on the wing and isn't getting the ball because D'Lo and Cat are playing efficient pick and roll theoretically. And, and D'Lo has every right to say, I'm wide open out here. I'm taking the shot. Um, all I'm saying is one of my reservations against D'Lo is he likes to play two man game and maybe three man game, but not often enough to, to slake Beasley's thirst for catch and shoot action. And there's another thirsty guy out here, and his name is Cat. And if he keeps setting these screens and not getting the ball because D'Lo is so much more comfortable, um, there may just be times when you know they're running plays where Cat leaves a little early on that pick and says, "Hit me on this early roll, buddy." Uh, you know what I think is a thing too that i mean we've really labeled this and we've literally just spent like 10 minutes talking about how their whole offense is going to be cat and d pick and roll i think a nugget that we have gathered from this season thus far in the five games that cat has played is he's going to play in the post a lot more well and ryan was quick to try to debunk that a little bit but he had to go to it when i asked him today how are you going to yeah. run this um that is a recipe for you better feed Malik Beasley a lot more. No, that's what I'm trying to say is like, that's a way, because there's also another name we're leaving out of this too, who is Edwards. also very thirsty. Yeah. Is that's, that's a way to run a more egalitarian offense that 
you know, pours out a little bit for all four of those guys right. is by using cat and post-up situations more often where provided, he's going to get doubled. Provided again, this, and this is a problem too is, and I, I, I know I sound like I'm just cynically throwing cold water on every single scenario you're mentioning, but cat does clog the lane when he's in the lane. I mean, he brings people and it's hard. Now what did happen the other night in the first quarter is that cat okay. opened up a lot of things out there, but some of that is until a Kogi shut him down, <laughs> shut actually, the damn it, door. It actually helped out with a oh, Kogi was hey, Kogi, in the first Kogi half. Had 10 in the first half. four minutes or whatever. That's because they were guard. They were guarding him. Then I know. I know. I know. Uh, so that's a whole separate yeah, thing. Yeah, I get it. So I do not have a tremendous amount of faith in in the catalyst effect i think delo and cat are both good enough that the pick and roll will be solid it cannot be a calling card for this offense if delo and cat develop the kind of chemistry that jordan mclaughlin and Nas reed have i will give it up to you i will give it up to you i will say and you and rosas i will say gerson rosas bravo you know I never thought D'Lo had it in him, but he just has a sixth sense as to when Cat's going to break free and come through, and that guy finishes all the time. And by the way, there are times when he's going through, and D'Lo is smart enough of a point guard to see that as he's going through, it's opening it up for somebody else. So he moves to the space that's opened up, brings some defenders, and hits somebody else in the corner. Boom. Mm -hmm. Now we're cooking. Now we have a pick and roll with various options that are beginning to unfold because offenses, I mean, defenses are reacting. I would love to see that type of pick and roll game unfurl. I happen to think that Cat and D'Lo are not movement oriented and dynamic oriented enough and quite frankly, comfortable letting somebody else dictate what's going to happen. And and Britt, that is where coaching will come in. Yeah, that that is a coachable thing, you know. And it's hard. I that that's particularly when it's your two star players, yes. and you need to convince them to let go of part of their stake in the offense for the for the greater good. Exactly right. That's a that's a hell of a job for a coach. Yes, it is. But it's not an impossible one. Well, not that's only that, certainly but, been mean, conquered. And it isn't like uh, I mean, I sure as hell hope that it, it has already been you know rehearsed, said a million times. Hey, this is what's going to happen if we're going to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, the San Antonio game, Delo barely got past that pick. He almost shot it yeah. behind Cat's head. You know, <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, you know, so it's like, he did. Uh, when have you ever seen, I mean, and it, it's not fair because Jordan McLaughlin and Nas Reed don't have the talent that, the attention that, that D'Lo, too. I mean, but when have you ever seen those guys even remotely near each other on a pick and roll? They're always incredibly well spaced. I mean, it's beautiful to see. As soon as the pick has been established, Nas is on his horse, 
And McLaughlin is already moving in another direction to create, you, you, you force the role defenders and to make a decision as to where you're going. It's like an option quarterback who sure. is, if he's a bad runner, then you just basically go with the pitch guys and have your nose tackle stuff the son of a bitch. If you're a really good runner and you don't have a good guy to pitch to, then everybody goes on the other one. We have a situation here where I feel like you have two really good, you have a great quarterback runner and you have a really great pitch guy, but they're waiting to see the quarterbacks waiting a long time to see if that pitch unfolds. And in the meantime, sees an opening and the pitch guy, meanwhile, is saying, Hey, I'm open. Get me this thing over here. It doesn't function in a manner that satisfies both sides. And that's where this vaunted friendship is going to have to come, you know, pay off some dividends. And meanwhile, you got to feed Beasley. You got to feed Ant. Um, Mm-hmm. It's you know, you know you know what this is makes me me think about Britt is is you're you're referencing the not Nasri as part of the Nasri Jordan McLaughlin synergy, which yeah. is I mean I'm watching Pretty that remarkable. too. It's, it's good. Pretty, but but this is the actually remarkable part to me is you think back to that first Oklahoma City game right where they where they have the lead and they blow it. Yeah, you know, or, or the shit. No, it wasn't the Oklahoma City, San Antonio game. Sorry, where they, it's thirty to eleven. They they blow it oh, against yeah. Demar Derozan scores yeah. all the time. Yeah. And the Wolves just run high pick and roll after high pick and roll, you know, with with Nas and D'Lo, and it's a disaster, and they can never score, and then they lose the game. Nas Reed's included in that pick and roll, right? So under the assertion that you're making that Nas can be a very good pick and roll partner for a point guard, it's concerning that in critical situations, extended critical situations, that it's worked very terribly with D'Angelo Russell, which you can do some math here to say maybe D'Lo isn't the one that's good at setting up the big for the screen, right? Right. And and that would be, I think, I mean, if we're trying to make arguments based off of the film, based off of what has happened in, in, in this time with D'Lo, I think that's that would be one to make I, to suggest you know that Cat and D'Lo won't be as good. I and who knows? I mean, I don't know this, but I don't think D'Lo has faith in Nas's hands and ability to finish in traffic. I think if that guy was McDaniels, who for some reason, I mean, for good reasons, of course, but uh, I think I think D'Lo would run pick and rolls with McDaniels just because he he recognizes the type or whatever, you know, he sees a oh, guy. He likes gets, playing with him. Yeah, exactly. And McLaughlin likes playing with Nas. I mean, what's going to be really fun to see after all this ballyhoo, and it, it's a enormous uh, it's, it's, it's the key to the whole mystery to some extent. We're still having to ask ourselves, can Cat and D'Lo get the best out of each other in the things they do best? Nobody ever accused Cat of being a great pick and roll player until D'Lo came along. I mean, it wasn't Facts. something that anybody ever said. So all of a sudden now, 
Kat's got to be the guy that works with Dilo. And meanwhile, Dilo is going to be the guy that enables this center who has been absolutely marvelous. You know, one of the things I will say, where I've seen Kat be actually the, the best at high pick and rolls is those actions with Wiggins when they were both out there together and they would do that handoff stuff. Uh, and it was because Wiggins was a little, was a, such a threat to go downhill. And also because they liked that aspect of playing together. Um, I can only hope that this friendship really does pan out and that somehow Beasley gets in on the action um, and gets to be uh part of a, you know, a little uh, click of the D'Lo cat, a Beasley potent offensive uh, threat thing. But then again, then you've got to feed Ant. I mean, it, it does. This this of course is the worst. uh, I mean, the the least of the, the, the wolves problems. The, 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 what we have to figure out first is if uh, D'Angelo Russell is all that. Let me, let me, I, I think some number. This is a good place for okay. for some numbers. Yeah, I think so too. And okay, so so cat one oh seven. Cat, la- I think he was. Go ahead. Po- po- yes, that's ac- exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So so pick and roll as a pick and roll roll man. Last year he was one point oh seven points per one hundred percent, which isn't bad. It's like mid mid like fifty six. Forty ninth percentile. Let, let, let me let me just okay. let me just read these up. But the okay, volume, so, so last volume year was good. Okay, go ahead. La- last year he was. 49th percentile as a pick and roll roll man right. um, with with a, a relatively high volume right. of, of pick and rolls. The year before that, which is um, which is the Tibbs and Ryan split season, yep. right? Yep. Back when they that, had Skip Bayless run on the show for a while. Exactly. <laughs> I Skip think his name Tyus. is Jared Bayless, but <laughs> I like the idea of Skip Bayless running the show. The the volume was a little bit lower, but he was 71st percentile. Yeah. 1.19 points per 100 possessions uh-huh. or 1.19 points per possession. And then and then you go back to which is good. That yes. that's good. I mean first on um, that kind of volume is good. And and then you go back to to 2017-18, the Jimmy year, the playoff year. Yep. And it's his highest volume in pick and roll situations by far, way higher than than even last year, and he's at 70th percentile. So, one, I think I, I take two things from that. That was Tibbs being intentional about running a lot of pick and roll with Cat, and that's why and, he got Jeff T. Exactly, and that's why. And I also also think it's worth pointing out that Jeff T was good that year. Yeah, he was good. And and so, so on. on I think offense, that's a, I, I hasten to add that Jeff T was good on offense. Yes, yes. So so here's. Here, here's my question. I mean, don't can't you do you expect that level of offense from D'Lo? Do you expect him to be worse than Jeff Teague in those actions? The 2017-18 Jeff Teague. That's a good question. I frankly don't know. I mean, because I don't know if um, a push seems fair, right? As a as a does, minimum, it does. You, you you are right. A push seems fair if. In fact, um, what my caution here is, Teague was slavishly in favor of feeding Cat. Mm-hmm. If Cat yes. gets fed, 
the way Teague fed him. If Delo feeds Cat the way Teague feeds Cat, then I can see it. But And I would I would point to coaching there as well. Okay, well and I would point to ego. I would point to what people think mm-hmm. they do best, you know? And um I don't think it's uh, – I bet you Teague's assist per game that year is higher than Delo's has ever been. Yeah, I, I would think without those numbers being in front of me, I, I would agree. But I, I just want to say this. Even if it's push, even if it's push, yep. that's really good, that is good on that type of volume. Yep. And compare it to Jokic and Embiid, who I think are the offensive gold standard at the center position, right? Right. But very, very Those, different, and also not necessarily I, pick and roll guys. I know. Well, that's what I'm I'm pointing out yeah. is this is a this is an area where Cat can greatly supersede Jokic and Embiid because they are not good pick and roll guys. Twenty eighteen nineteen, Embiid twenty ninth percentile pick and roll. Jokic thirty eighth percentile in that. You go on to twenty nineteen twenty, twenty seventh percentile for Embiid. 39th percentile for Jokic. What about this so year? Because Embiid has really had a great year on offense. I wonder if he's playing really well on pick and roll. So I, I did th- this. This is just a a spreadsheet that I put together um, back before the Sixers game. Uh-huh. So is that the, the 29th? So this is yeah. these numbers. These numbers are two weeks, two weeks old. But Embiid is actually still this year, just 33rd percentile. Wow. So he or was so he was then. He, I mean, I, I bet could, I could he pull must be getting post ups because he's not shooting as many bad threes. An insane amount of post ups okay. for MP. Yeah, Doc like, Rivers, Doc Rivers, and and he's passing out of them really well too in 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 post up situations. So good coaching. So it, it has been. I and I actually the, the reason I put this together is I talked about it after after that podcast and and they've really leaned into both Doc in Philly and Malone in Denver, even more so this year of leaning into the areas where those guys are strongest for Embiid. That's in post-up situations or at those kind of elbow isolations. His, his isolation numbers are in volume or way up and efficiency is sustained. And, and, and so are his post-ups. And then, and then if you look at, if you look at Jokic, face in the basket. Yes. And it's, uh, he is trying to think of what the, what was the, what was the thing? Oh, he has um, in, increased his his post up volume and is passing a lot more out of them too. Right. So they're they're finding more ways and they're finding more ways for him to pass out of pick and rolls. And so his pick and roll efficiency is higher than it's ever and been you know before. What He's he, actually what he is seventy first percentile. What he has gotten really great at is pivoting. When he pivots, he changes the offense. His back to the basket versus his back his front to the basket, which, you know, crazily enough only takes one pivot. But if all of a sudden, (laughs) if all of a sudden Jokic is facing the basket 12 feet from the basket, it opens up a whole different dynamic. Whereas, and and if Jokic is, is facing the basket and all of a sudden pivots, a lot of times he's almost, he's pivoting into a screen or he's, he's seeing somebody on the weak side, uh, of three, all of a sudden, he's suddenly wheeling toward them or something. He, it's, uh, it's just so much fun to watch when he's theoretically posting up. I've never seen a guy post up with so many possibilities as to what is going to happen out of that post up. 
I mean, it really is so much fun to watch him when he's in that mode. It's um, which is making me a little sad right now, uh, thinking about. But but, uh, <laughs> but but that's my point. I know that's kind of my point. Is this idea the that the guy, right? And and that has been happening with Embiid and Jokic right. over these past two years, right. where where their front offices and their coaching staffs have chiseled away and found the ways to use their their players best. Right. And and what's happened with the Wolves of not having Cat right. be out there for two years basically, is that they haven't, you know, they have there's been no chiseling that's been done. And thus Jokic and Embiid are MVP candidates and Cat is this lingering you know question mark but that doesn't subtract from the idea that that chiseling can't happen for him too yes and and to the whole d-low pick and roll point like the area to lean into is based on precedent of the jeff teague year right or playing with skip bayless is is that cat can be really good at this and if d-low proves to be substantially better at running pick and rolls than bayless or jones were or substantially better than even Jeff Teague was. Now we're talking about we are talking about a dynamic pick and roll duo, which is, that is the I understand your skepticism, but that is that that's it's not a dead end. You're making a good case. You're making a good case. I don't buy it, but I, <laughs> I am no no no. I mean it isn't that yeah. I think you're making a really good case. My reservations still stand. I think and it's not that you haven't proven your point. It's that I think there are guys, things operate on a continuum. Tibbs wanted a more selfish point guard than Ricky Rubio to run pick and rolls. So Teague is more selfish than Rubio. But at what point is your point guard too selfish? Maybe Teague Teague to Delo. Maybe Mm -hmm. that is a pull-up jumper too far. I mean, you know, that is a, a way where, um, put it this way, if in fact you can run the kind of pick and rolls, and by the way, I do want to hasten to add, because I did mention a Jeff Teague pick and roll, that I bet you there's a lot fewer uh, beyond the arc pick and rolls in that Teague cat <laughs> year, you know, than there were. I mean, I, I, I bet you they're starting their pick and roll at the foul line because that's what Teague used to love, you know. But they're very, maybe the top of the key. But it's it likes it like slowly bled its way down there. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it started at the right, nail, right. but it got to the right. nail for sure. Right. Well, Jeff Teague, you know, he led the league in uh, seven dribble baskets. I bet he also read the led the league in seven dribble pick and roll assists, uh, just because that's, <laughs> that's who he is. But all right. Why don't, I mean, because uh, quite frankly, my arguments have been uh, well, you, you've heard me out and uh, you've. No, I, it, it, no, no. Just using, uh, it, it's it's in theory. This is all in theory. I'm, I'm not it even. It is an excellent debate. I think we both stated our cases very well. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that um, you've given me a little more hope that this can be a good pick and roll combination. Um, right. I. Uh, Let's. Uh, go ahead. Well, let's let's. You're right. We, we we nailed it down. Let's. We got like 15 minutes left, and, and we, we we mentioned we mentioned this before. Let's let's. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Lamelo and Ant. And, oh yeah. And, okay. Yeah. And 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 I'll 
we should say is we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so before they play against each other on Friday. Um, so obviously we're not talking about that game specifically, but quite frankly, I don't think that's going to be that meaningful of a data point. No. You know, of <laughs> of you know how how good or bad the pick is or fit or whatever. But it it, it is an interesting as we sit here talking about cat and D'Lo pick and rolls, I, I think about this and I just watched a Hornets game, you know, before this. And I think that as the person who was bullish in this conversation about the cat and D'Lo pick and roll, I think that right now a cat and the mellow pick and roll would be better than a, a cat and D'Lo pick and roll. Mm. And LaMelo has already gotten, you know, to that level 25 games into his career. See, I've, as, I haven't seen a lot of LaMelo. Um, oh, dude, you got to watch more. It's my favorite. They're my thunder this year. All right. I, see, they're, that's, they're great. that's interesting because I used to see Charlotte all the time because they play the early games. Six oh, o'clock. Yeah, yep. They play the early games. And for what, you know why? Because I make dinner more often. Uh, and so I'm not used to. Damn be- pandemic. <laughs> exactly. It used to be that uh, I had the excuse of, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm watching basketball tonight, you know? <laughs> but um, I I do know, I mean, from what I've seen of LaMelo, uh, obviously the first thing that jumps out at you is his size. And then the second thing that jumps out at you is his court vision. Uh, but I have not seen enough of him to know if he finishes well. And from what I understand, he must be finishing really well. It's, it's, I, I had the mellow ball number one on my board. I, I thought he was the and best I, player I, in the I draft. And I did not think, right. I did not think that, that to me was my, my number one offensive concern with the mellow ball was Finishing. anything going at the basket. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, he would get, he would get bumped. He would stray away from contact. It was gross. It, it was, it was really gross at the basket. So I think for a lot of people, the primary concern was his shooting and his shot, you know, just kind of funky mechanics, um, not, you know, not shooting right up and down. He's doing the like Lou Williams right. fall into the side sort of shot. Like I was more optimistic about the shot, but I mean, I know the Rubio comparison is lazy, but that's kind of what I, I thought about was like, all right, I think he could be like peak Rubio and do it for, you know, 10 years right. like that's right. what I thought LaMelo could be but that include I mean Pete Rubio was still eh, on his way to the basket you know Pete like Rubio on never get the basket is you know you know dust off the seat you know I mean come on in you know have yeah have, right have this have this spot right near the hoop you know <laughs> exactly so so that's what I was kind of expecting but he's LaMelo's got you know he's got he's got some craft and more force going to the rim you know than than I thought he's definitely like the he's definitely the type where he doesn't love the contact uh-huh, still right. you know which is which is maybe just the nature of being like 190 pounds right. and is he, flying into Andre is he Drummond yeah he's 19 okay. he doesn't turn he doesn't turn 20 until August now, there you go I think if you're a teenager I mean you know Anthony Edwards aside uh, there are not a lot of 19 year olds who like the contact well, that's a good segue <laughs> to, to Anthony Edwards, right. who, who Lamelo's game is already discernibly positive. I, I, I think you could say. Yes. Whereas where Edwards is is at best situationally. Yeah, have to squint, right? And which is 
I mean, to some end, it's like, okay, who really cares about your rookie year, you know, in terms of wins and losses and that sort of thing, like that neither the Hornets or the Wolves are going anywhere in the 2021 season, you know, but there we've gotten to the point where there's LaMelo is significantly closer to his, to recognizing what he's going to become than what Anthony Edwards is. Now, part of that is the fact that Anthony Edwards has a higher ceiling. So there was, you know, he started the race with a longer race to run. Right. But, I don't know. It just feels like feels like Lamelo's going to hit that ceiling, whereas Anthony Edwards, that's okay. Well, let's talk about up this. for debate. Let's talk about this. Um, I would like that. Here's where I would rate the problems. Uh, if I were doing demerits, defense would be like one, two, and three for Edwards for me. Court, yep. court awareness. I mean, there's court vision on offense and there's court vision on defense. Edward strikes me as somebody with very little peripheral vision on defense, and that is a that's a real flaw. Um, on offense, I think that Edwards um, often makes up his mind about what he's going to do for 90% of the play. It isn't like he says, I'm going to score now, but he doesn't start thinking about the pass until he's way beyond. Um, I mean, he could still make some pretty, he can still do the pass. But it's not um, in the rhythm. It, the, the guy who's in the corner is giving serious thought toward crashing the, rim for the rebound if he needs to. He's not hanging there expecting the ball uh, at a certain point. Um, and to Edwards' credit, um, that's because Edwards can absorb contact and sometimes finish where a lot of people can't. But I do think that you can boil it all down to defense and shot selection and maybe a little bit of handle and immaturity. Those are the things I would say Edwards doesn't do well. Um, I also think his three-point stroke, you know, re- remains a work in progress. It's it's really interesting if you watch um, Hornets games and with the juxtaposition defensively, right? Of of how the Wolves how the Wolves handle defense with Ant, like against Shea Gildas Alexander on Saturday, on, right? To close the game, that w- as their preferred choice to be the wing stopper of a all-star level point guard which in a weird way which in a weird way was the best place for him because he focused on what he had to do i think if you stick him Uh, in theory but it lost them the game yeah it lost them that game that's a fact yeah i agree agree with that they got they got work there i'm saying that the, the interesting thing is compared to charlotte where they as much as humanly possible james borrego subs Lamelo out for defensive replacements to go with he brings in Cody Martin all the time like end of end, end of quarters and all, this this whole thing I, I did a I did one film review pod about this and it was it was I it was hilarious it was like five minutes left in the game and um and Borrego starts subbing him out with like five minutes left playing offense defense so the popcorn machine you're saying really had to slice and dice those little numbers <laughs> <laughs> 
time, <laughs> big time. But it was it was so funny that and the mellow he seemed he seemed right. cool with it, and he he got to the point where he just started sitting on the scorers table. Yeah, and that that's a that's a frequent thing with you know when when coaches <laughs> do that. And so I would be okay with that. I mean, again, that's another case of uh, it's it's a different, but it's a very different development strategy right and and the, the wolves is so clearly trial by fire not just with ampa with everyone right like you know go learn just go learn go get burnt we don't you know if you get if you get torched by shea gilders alexander hopefully you'll have learned from the burns right and but i don't think and I, I i think that edwards did the best he could face up on shea the problem in isolation. Is, yeah. The problem is, is that Shea, um, well, he's top 10 in total ISO possessions and, uh, and in his percentage of his shot mix. So if he has a rookie on him, you know, he's going to feast. Uh, the only argument I do make, and you just shot it down nicely before is that, um, if you stuck them over on another player, you wouldn't have Jay. Uh, you you put let's say you put Jay Jade McDaniel's on him, which would be the logical guy to put on him, I would guess. Um, mm -hmm. What is to say that Jay wouldn't see Edwards' man on a cut, and Edwards gets burned even more that way? Um, by the way, right. let's remember all the praise that Edwards got among the Wolves Twitter universe for guarding uh, Shea Gilgus Alexander, which I always thought was kind of weird because I thought if there, well, was, I mean, if there was another guy, if there was a guy who should have come out of the game in those circumstances, I argued it was going to be Edwards, you know, at that particular time. I, I think if you go back and watch the end of that game, it was a massive, well, it was either a mistake or stealth tanking to put, to put Anthony Edwards there in that situation. That is that is signing up for something that might work, but odds are it won't. Okay, you but know, let's say same. you follow my philosophy and say you put Jade McDaniels on him and, sure. and, and Shea hoses him. Oh, they put the 28th pick on him. That's stealth tanking, you know? Right. There, there are less alternatives, <laughs> whereas somehow Charlotte has – you know, better out. options right. to do that. Or, you know, Cody Martin is like uh, Josh Okogie, right? right? Like better than, or I don't know. I mean, that they don't, that can shoot threes, so they don't have to solve them. Whatever. Right. So there's there, there's different options there that aren't Jaden McDaniels. That That's a whole Wolves problem is a lack of alternatives to, to these sort of things. But I think to me, the most concerning part of the whole, that whole Shea thing. Right was was what he said post game in his little back and forth with Jace which was his assertion that, that it's not good. his fault he was good at that right yeah yeah that and that it's not his fault if Shea scores when it's a ball screen action that was i mean i have it go if people haven't seen this go to my twitter it's it's one of my recent videos i've you know i've i've tweeted and and anthony's you know stated position is he couldn't do anything on me in isolation which is like, okay, cool. We acknowledge that. But you all, they also lost the game because they ran four straight pick and rolls right at with you, Shea right. where they scored three of the four times. Right. And, and so that, 
that is the that is going to be what has to be learned. And by on Anthony one Edwards. of those pick and rolls, maybe not the four you're talking about in crunch time, but it may have happened just a little bit earlier when Ann tried to stop. He fouled on the layup, and Shea mm-hmm. went through him. You know, yep. I mean Anthony Edwards. That was one of the four. Okay, uh, that was. Uh, I mean, ball screen action. Hey, you were still with the guy at the rim, so I mean that's on you, right? I mean, if it's a ball screen mm-hmm. action and you're the you're the defender, the fouler, then, yeah, right. Then so uh, you can't blame the screen on that play. Exactly. So it's my my point is is if he's going to become a two way player that they so desperately are trying to make right. him become, you got to make him a more requirement. Got to make him more. Yeah, a, exactly. A requirement is that is the recognition that you are accountable. For the opponent scoring, it's not just it's not just you don't just lose a defensive possession only when they score on you in isolation. Right. It's not how it works. Right. Counts as two points right. if they do it in a, in a in a pick and roll as well. And and it's the, it's the hardest thing. And it's the most interesting thing about the NBA right now is this is defending pick and rolls. Right. right. It's the it it's is the litmus test for defensive it, players. It really. It, it really is, and that's just the nature of right. of guys. I mean, like I I pulled up Shea's synergy right here. Forty three point seven percent of his offensive possessions that lead to a shot attempt are from as a pick and roll ball hand, or like off of a pick and roll. I mean, nearly half. Nearly and half. the others are isos. Yeah, the, the, he's good, also a heavy a, a iso guy. So it's 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 at least half the battle defensively. For a player like Anthony Edwards, or for you know Lamelo Ball, who's just been removed from the equation altogether, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that Lamelo is you know is okay, better at and that. So what I would argue, we do have a Cody Martin. It's Josh Okogie. You know, you just basically put him in, and you have Okogie guard Shea. And when you get the ball back, you put in Edwards, and you keep both at the scorers' table. You pull a Borrego, and you do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's to say? The problem is. The problem is, is possessions don't stop I know. But, one by the other. You got to go down and play offense, and then the Hornets aren't going to guard, or whoever the Wolves are playing right. aren't going to guard Josh Okogie, and are then the he's Wolves asked to be Cody Martin. I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, I mean, Cody, Cody Martin. I'm not saying he's great shakes as a shooter, but we're at the point with Josh Okogie where he was last, as you know, right. was last in the league in catch and shoot three point percentage a season ago, and this year he's second to last. In catch and shoot three point percentage, only behind Alexei Pokashevsky. Ah, yes. So it's he's who is now in the G League. Whatever happened like, to Kevin Knox? <laughs> bust. I know. He's out. Of, he's out of the Knicks rotation. No, I don't. Well, I think he got traded, didn't he? No, no, no. That's no, no. R.J. Smith, right? Right. R.J. Smith? uh, No, uh, Dennis Dennis Smith. Smith, Dennis Smith. You put R.J. R.J. Smith is James Brown's biographer. Oh, well. Of course he is. (laughs) Of course he is. I get them confused all the time. (laughs) Let's close on this. How do you think this is going to, like, are, are you at all concerned about the idea that, as of right now, it looks very likely that LaMelo Ball will be the better player from the 2020 draft class than Anthony Edwards. Is that, how concerning is that to you? I don't care about what other people have done. What I, that's a, that's a fair stance. uh, What I would say is that Rosas is responsible for what happens here. And if Anthony Edwards doesn't pan out, let's say LaMelo ball pans out really wonderfully. Then, 
two things have to happen. D'Angelo Russell has to be the goods, and Anthony Edwards has to be very good, if not great. Because right. you need him to be you need him to be Trey Young to Lomelo Ball's Luka Doncic. Yes, exactly. And and I actually think that um I think Trey Young's overrated. And I this year Luke yeah. Luke is overrated too, I think. But you know you know oh, what no, I'm saying. I, I know what you mean. Like, I don't want to get in yeah. I know you're uh, you don't want us to go two hours today, so I, I won't I won't start un, unrolling my Trey Young thoughts. <laughs> but uh, I I do think that um what Gerson Rosas has bought himself is a lot of expectations. You know, he was smartest guy in the room is really the way he presented himself, you know, will uh, question the norm and everything we do. We're building sustainable winner. Ta-da, 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 ta-da. Okay. Well, he's finally starting to compile a record. And right now his record stinks. His record is really bad. And so one of the ways that this is a nail in his coffin, should it come to that, is if D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards don't both show really good improvement while LaMelo Ball shows a lot of improvement. That's two straight whiffs in the draft because has anybody even thought about Jared Culver in the last two weeks since he's sprained his ankle? I don't think so. So that's your number six pick from a year ago. Now you've got your number one pick. You saw what happened with Wiseman. Wiseman was at least Edwards equal when they matched up. And I think over the course of the season, Wiseman has proven to be a very shrewd pick for what Golden State wants and needs. I haven't seen as much of LaMelo as I've seen of Wiseman. I've seen LaMelo like parts of five games this year. Um, and I, I, again, his size it's when a guy is six six and really knows how to dribble. It's almost impossible to take the ball away from him when you're that big and you have that kind mm-hmm. of a handle, and and so that eliminates um, poke steal turnovers. If a point guard can eliminate poke steal turnovers, a, a world opens up to them that isn't open to a lot of point guards. So I do notice that. I do notice that he's very very confident on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know enough about his finishing and I don't know enough about his defense to comment on either one of them. But I read that at your um, uh, instigation or your recommendation suggestion. I read the John Hollinger piece in the athletic today where he raves about him and, and puts him in with 10 other people who like nine of them are in the hall of fame right now. Um, I will grant you this, and this is my long answer up wrapping it up is that uh, I will be concerned about it for the wolves. If LaMelo ball turns into a hall of famer, if, if LaMelo ball turns into a perennial all-star, then, then that's a blemish. That's, you know, that's a uh, Sam Bowie territory, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, cause, cause I read the Hollinger thing too. And I just kind of, you know, sat there for a while and, you know, you do your little, what do I think? Right. You know, and what do I think it's, it's going to become? And I, I don't think 
as somebody who's high on the metal ball, I don't think he's going to be Luka Doncic. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't. I, I, I think he's going to be – I do think he's going to be a really good player in this league. I think he'll be an all-star and, and those sort of things, but not at at that level. So when I make the – I do think the Luka-Trey thing works, not not in the sense that um, that either player will be as good as either of them. Right. But but this sort of idea that like, okay, yeah, you're the Hawks. You kind of you kind of effed up. You didn't take – you didn't take Luca, but you're still making this work out pretty well given the second alternative. Right. And I think that's where I think that's where the Wolves are at. Is is the Mellows more likely than not, as we sit here on February eleventh, more likely than not going to be a stride better than Anthony Edwards for his career. But that in and of itself doesn't make this a failure. Right. It is about, to your point, which I, I, you, you put that well, it's about what do you do here? What does Ryan Saunders do with him? What does a future coach do with him if that comes? What does Gerson Rosas do to, to, you know, to surround him to, to grow? And, and for me, the, the, the caution or the, the concern I have as somebody who would, would like to see Anthony Edwards do well is I am concerned about him growing up in a culture of losing, mm-hmm. which he has – certainly started his career in. Yes. And did it and, Georgia, right. And did it Georgia. And if you go like if you go to some of his high school stuff, his AAU like you talk to some of those people, his he lost a bunch in, in high school stuff. He's you ask anybody about him who knows him prior to college, always has lost. Never has been never has been coached hard. Never won. That's you know, that's the book on people who I respect their opinion on there. And like, whatever, that's not a reason to rule him out, but I'm watching this happen with that knowledge and I'm concerned. I, I, I was at, I mean, you weren't at the game cause you're not coming to the games, but he started his first game against Philadelphia on, on January 29th of his career and they get smacked by 30. Right. And, and how it's set up there is we, we're still sitting, you know, in the arena doing our zooms right. afterwards for a while. And but where are you? Happened- are you are you uh, are you in the place where we used to be in terms of distance? No, we're still out. Way no, up. We're still out. We're still in, in the first, uh, like in the first concession stand level. Yep, yep. We're we're, we're still we're still sitting at my game seat, uh-huh. like twenty five feet away from the floor. Okay. And and so you know I'm sitting there. We're sitting there. We're waiting for D'Lo or whoever to come over. Saunders has just talked and. And Ant walks out with his big speaker, and this is like 15, 20 minutes after the game, and he sets his big speaker out, and he starts playing his music, and he starts you know, dancing around, kind of shooting. I wouldn't say it was a shooting workout, but he's, you know, he's, he's playing, you know? Right. Happy-go-lucky. And I mean, happy-go-lucky, and, and I – just like anybody else, man. I love the right. his personality as much as anyone I've I've covered, and I think that's great. I just I have concerns about somebody who starts their first game in the NBA, gets destroyed, and fifteen minutes later is is just out in the court, you know, just just chilling. Right. I think, and that that maybe that's a me thing, you know, and and maybe that's a him being nineteen year old thing, and that's to your to your maturity point. But for me, I'm not going to forget that, uh-huh. like, because that that action was emblematic of this sort of concern I have 
that isn't even necessarily his fault. You know, it's, right. it's, he's brought up in a culture of losing in high school and at Georgia. And now he's on the worst team in the NBA. Right. And that, that's scary. Well, they call them red flags for a reason. And what they mean is, well put. what they mean is that it's not, um, a banishment to the further corners of hell, but it is a marker. It's a marker. You make you put down a flag and you go, that's a sign of concern for me that this could happen. And then if the behavior begins to be something that is reflected in a weakness on the court, a lack of focus, a lack of attention, a lack of competitiveness, whatever, all the ways that happy-go-luckiness can manifest itself in a negative way on the court, then it's like anything else. I mean, we don't know somebody's personality. Somebody can seem like a jerk, and then you go, oh, wait a minute, they're not a jerk after all. They're just this. Right. Or somebody can seem like a great guy, and you go, oh, that's why they're a great guy. They're not this, you know, and it's a bad thing. Um there right now, Anthony Edwards is in the red flag and and uh, you know or a little streamer stage. You're either sending up streamers, <laughs> hey, or you have the red flag out. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like my response to uh, you know how are we going to feel about uh, the pick. Ed, Edwards, Anthony Edwards will decide whether or not those are, are really red flags or not, but. What is concerning is, to your point, he doesn't know the negative ramifications yet. He doesn't know somebody coming to him and going, you lost the fucking game. Why don't you wake up, get your head out of your ass, and begin to concentrate on helping this team? Now, does he need that speech? I have no idea. But... If he does not fulfill what potential people see in him, it will be easy to blame the organization, of course, and it'll be easy to blame. But at the end of the day, it's still his career. It's still who he is. And so it doesn't help that he got drafted by a dysfunctional Wolves franchise, probably. And it doesn't help that he went to Georgia or whatever or whatever. And it probably doesn't help that he is so charming in his own skin right now. It's easy to go, ah, and you know what a what a guileless. I, I, that's a, that's the adjective I've used on it most is guileless. And maybe there's, I mean, the reason he's guileless. Guileless is the positive side of naivete. You know, it is. Hey, you know, let's just have fun here, and. You can say, let's just have fun here until somebody points out to you that this isn't fun for everybody. This is this is not fun. This is bad. This is depressing. And so it's a good point. It's a good point you make. Uh, like so much else about this franchise and this season, it remains to be seen. Um, it, you know, uh, we can, to, to bring it full circle, we could even argue that the coddling of Anthony Edwards is a stealth tank, you know? So... Uh, <laughs> That is full circle. Um, all right, Britt, you, are you working on anything? Yeah, well, I'm, well, who knows? I mean, I have a, I have pitches in. 
And I, I do, uh, as luck would have it, I mean, I, the, the pitch I'm most interested in right now is a D-low piece. And so mm-hmm. we'll see if that comes out. If it does, it'll hopefully it'll be out soon because events are beginning to, you know, as our conversation here indicates, right. you know, uh, yeah. No, man, it's it's the it's the D-low window, right? I, I like how at some point in this conversation, you reframed it from cat and D-low to D-low and cat because that's where the pressure despite is. all of yeah right right like I I like that because the cat thing is a relatively known variable in this. I mean, obviously we got some of this defensive stuff we got to iron out, but particularly on the offensive end, there's like cat is a stone that we think maybe could be chiseled a couple ways and you could do some of these sort of things but ultimately maximizing that is at least in this iteration this stage of the rebuild because i do think it is a stage i don't think this is the end game right you know the deal part is the part you know that is that is going to direct and, the and next this will this. be a part of my piece in some way shape or form at least i think it will i have no idea whether i'm going to get to write it let alone whether or not uh uh, what I'm going to say necessarily, but the optics are all in Cat's favor. I mean, the guy just beat COVID after having COVID and is very, very eloquent in his inimitable way in terms of what he said and how he said it and came out, played 31 minutes. People are loving it. Nas Reed praising his toughness. Everybody's loving him. And by the way, his defense has been much better this year and so on and so forth. Cat is as impregnable in terms of immunity from criticism right now than he's ever been in the NBA. Meanwhile, he is one half of a combination that has to work and that the whole season is being <laughs> judged on. And the other guy is mysteriously absent from games, is aloof, is somebody who's polarizing anyway. I mean, the amount of attention and, and negative consequence confronting deal right now is pretty enormous. And so really? that is actually one of the things that is kind of the fulcrum for the, what I want to write about. So we'll see if it happens. It is the story. I, I, I agree with you. Um, everyone, you can follow Britt and everything he does at The Athletic with John Krasinski. I follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. Um, I'm sure Britt and I will be back sometime next week, hopefully yep. to, to talk. Well, I mean, I, honestly, that'll be fun to talk a little bit about what cat. I would assume we have a cat and D'Lo game under our belt by then. <laughs> God, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> you, you, you'd think, but you know, I guess I'm not counting my chickens there. Right, right. Um, I, I, I'm in all honesty, I'm, I'm excited about this next kind of step of the season. Um, not because I necessarily think it's going to lead to wins or anything, but, uh, this type of conversation, is, to me, is much more interesting to talk right. about or to, you Well, know, it's got to, some validity to, to it. And I also think Charlotte is a good opponent. It's a nice test case because yeah. they are frisky. I mean, they got assets, but they're also, you know, they have their own dysfunctions and they have their own, you know, why mm. is he playing kind of guys. And, you right. know, so it, it, you know, and then after Charlotte, though, doesn't it get kind of, Kind of, Toronto is the next one I know after Toronto, LA, the Lakers. Yeah. yeah. But even Toronto, but Toronto's in, is that yeah. both of those games in Tampa Bay or the, are they here? Uh, it's in Charlotte and then and at it, Toronto and then home versus the but Lakers. But at Toronto is Tampa Bay. So that's, that's, yeah, that's why true. Charlotte that's true. to Tampa Bay. That, that's why that's, yes. that's, the, that's done. 
Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, but that's going to be uh, – Kyle Lowry just loves to play this team. So, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, all right, I will be back uh, to talk after the Charlotte game on, on Friday night. Thank you again, Britt, for doing this, and we will talk again soon. Sounds good. Until next time, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.